Well, thank you, praise team. That is, if you're not familiar with the old hymn, just a closer walk with thee. And that is our prayer and our desire. And that's why we're studying through Ephesians on Sunday mornings is to understand more of what it means to have a closer walk with the Lord. I'm excited about our journey through Ephesians. We're in week three of our new study through this amazing book in the scripture. So as we begin this morning, I want to ask you a question to get us thinking about the topic for this morning. That's this question. What difference does it make in your life to know that you belong? What difference does it make in your life to know that you belong. If you have a sense of belonging, of being welcomed, of being accepted into a group, into an organization, what difference does that make in your life? And I'll follow up with a second question. That's this question. What difference does it make to know you have purpose? That your life is not just going through the motions, but that you are part of something bigger than yourself and that there's purpose and meaning and direction to what you're doing with your life. Those two questions, do you belong and do you have purpose, are really questions of identity. And that's really what we've been looking at on Sunday morning, starting last week and continuing on this week and next week as well, is what is my identity? That's, in fact, where the book of Ephesians starts. And friends, we need to be rooted in our identity in Christ because there's so many things trying to answer the question for us, what is my identity? There's so many things that will pull us apart from who Christ says that we are. The Bible talks about our flesh, our nature apart from Christ. It's going to be pulling us to answer, who am I and what's my purpose in a way very different than how God would have us answer that. All around us is a cultural world that is hostile to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's pulling us to answer the question, who, I, who am I and what is my purpose? And to answer in a way contrary to the way Jesus would have us answer. But beyond that, as we'll see throughout Ephesians, there are spiritual forces. There's very real demons. There's a very real Satan who's trying to pull us and woo us away to where our understanding of who we are and what our purpose is will be very different than what God says that we are. And so we go back to the beginning of the book of Ephesians to root ourselves into who God says that we are and what our identity should be. So if you're not there yet, turn back to Ephesians chapter 1 because it's going to unfold for us this morning a beautiful picture of what our identity should be. And like I mentioned last week, I want to mention again as well, friends, when we seek to understand our identity, we're not going on some quest to find ourselves. This is not us going out in the woods to get alone and try to figure out who I am. This is not sitting around doing a study to figure out who I am. This is us trusting that the God who made us, the Creator, has revealed and spoken what our identity is. And we're seeking not for some self-willed discovery of who I am. We're seeking to understand who the God of the universe, the God who made us, who He's spoken us to be. And what's so amazing in this whole journey is what I mentioned last week. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons, that incredible mystery of the Trinity... All three persons of the Godhead are all involved in speaking our identity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all together crafted our identity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit apply our identity to us, and they reveal it to us. And as we will see last week what the Father has done in adopting us, we'll see today what Jesus the Son has done in our identity, and next week we'll see what the Holy Spirit has done in giving us our identity. And so I hope you'll marvel at that, that all three persons of the Godhead, of the one God, are all involved in revealing to us what our identity is. So this morning as we come to Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 7. And I want us to think about and be listening for what is my identity because of what Jesus has done. Because of what God the Son, Emmanuel, God with us, because of what he's done, what is my identity? So we're going to be looking at that in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version. If you're a visitor, the words will also be on the screen for you. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 7. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, 
according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you're a God who reveals yourself. God, you've not hidden yourself from us, and God, you've not even left us on some quest on our own to try to figure out who we are. But God, you have spoken clearly to us who we are and how you see us and even how we're to see ourselves. So we ask this morning that you'd open our eyes to this wonder and this truth of what you've done for us and who we are, that you would change us and transform us through your word. And so Holy Spirit, come move, illumine this text, illumine our hearts to understand these truths. And may you apply it as only you can to each of our situations today and throughout this week. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So from Ephesians 1, verses 7 through 10, what do we learn about our identity from Jesus? And it's simply this. I want you to see today. What is my identity? Jesus gives me an identity of belonging to God and being part of his plan. Jesus gives me an identity of belonging to God and being part of his plan. Last week we saw that God the Father has chosen to adopt us. And this just kind of builds on that and carries on that same thing. But Jesus now gives me an identity of belonging to God and being part of his plan. Out of his grace I belong. Out of his grace I now have purpose. So back to those fundamental questions I asked at the beginning. What difference does it make to belong? It makes a big difference. And do I belong? Yeah, I belong to God because of what Jesus has done. And does my life have purpose and a plan and meaning? Absolutely. Not because of me, but because of what Jesus has done and what he has chosen to do through us. Now, before we dig deeper in that idea of Jesus giving us an identity of belonging to God and being part of his plan, again, we need to go back to a little disclaimer that we mentioned last week. This identity of belonging to God, this identity of being part of his plan and God working through us for his purposes is not the default position. Friends, we do not start off with this identity. We're not born as a cute baby with this identity. We don't go through life starting off with this identity. And Ephesians 2 makes that clear. So go back to Ephesians 2. You'll know this text really well by the time we get to it in a month or two, right? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. This is the default identity of us apart from God's miraculous intervention in our lives. Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And friends, that's not a pretty picture for us, but that is a default identity. Notice that phrase we just read in verse 3, the rest of mankind. This is the default identity for humanity apart from believing in Christ. We are, like the rest of mankind, children of wrath, under God's wrath, because we've offended him. We've offended his holiness and our sins. And this is where we were apart from Christ. It says in the beginning, you were, past tense, dead. Friends, that's not who we are anymore, but that is the default state. And the default state is us being bound, is us being prisoners, of us being lost, separated, whatever word you want to use for it there. It is not a, not a pleasant state. And yet, like I mentioned earlier, there's so many things trying to pull our identity into everything besides what it should be. And all those pulls to our identity are pulling us back to this very state apart from what God is calling us to be. Verse 2 here, it describes us that we were bound to the course of this world. Friends, apart from Christ's intervention, our identity is going to be following this world, those who are not following Jesus. Also in verse 2, it describes the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan, a very real spiritual being who deceives and tries to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's trying to pull our identity into anything besides Christ. But then in verse 3, we're told that among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, our very flesh itself is trying to pull us away from who we are 
in Christ. And so we see that our default position is being bound to the world, bound to Satan, bound to our own flesh. But friends, we don't have to stay there. If we are in Christ, if we've repented, if we've believed, if we are trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone, we have been changed now. We have been adopted. But can I remind us that God does not rescue us to abandon us? He doesn't adopt us and throw us back out on the street to fend for ourselves. He has adopted us and chosen us. He's transforming us and he's making us different. He now gives us a sense of belonging. So I want you to see with that big picture in mind this morning that if we're in Christ, we're no longer how verses 1 through 3 describe us. We are now different. We now belong to God and we have a purpose in life. So go back to our text this morning, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. And notice the terminology here for belonging, our identity. Ephesians 1, 7. In him... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. The first word for belonging we have here is the idea of redemption. What does it mean to redeem? To redeem something means to make a payment, to get something back. Usually it's something that was taken away or something that was held captive. But to redeem is to make a payment to get something back. Friends, it can be as simple as if your car gets towed and you go down to the impound lot. It's your car, but it's pretty bound right there. You go and when they, you pay the money for it, you're redeeming your car. You are buying back your car, so to speak, to get it released. The idea of redemption was a common image at the time for Paul, the reason he uses it. There was a lot of slavery in the Roman Empire. Even in Ephesus, as we talked a few weeks ago about what happened in Ephesus, there was a good bit of slavery there. And so the idea of redemption would be there was a price on a slave, and a person could go pay the price for the slave and then set the slave free. They would redeem the slave. They would pay the price and then give the slave the freedom. And that's an intentional imagery that Paul is using for us because, friends, apart from Christ, we are just what we read in Ephesians 2. We are enslaved. We are bound to the world. We are bound to our flesh. We are bound to Satan. But Christ comes and he pays the price to purchase us back, to give us our freedom and to redeem us. There's another image that helps me understand redemption. I was reading it this, this week, and it kind of resonated with me. And it's, I've heard it before, so maybe one you've heard as well. But the image is this. Imagine there's a coastal town, and there's a boy who's learned how to make things with wood. He builds a beautiful wooden sailboat, paints it, crafts it. He fashions it with his own hands, and he pours his heart and soul as a little boy into making this sailboat. He creates it, and every day he goes on a place with it. He shows it off to his friends, his family. He goes out each day sailing it. One day he's sailing it out in the corner of the ocean there, and the wind gusts it and pushes it away. And the thing that he's treasured most is his prized possession gets blown out to sea, and he loses it. The thing he made gets lost. He's heartbroken. He goes out day after day by the sea looking for his boat, and he cannot find it. Months go by, and he's basically given up hope of finding it. One day he's walking through his village, and there in one of the town shops, he sees his boat on display in the window. And he runs inside the shop and goes, that's my boat. I want to take it home. And the shop owner goes, no, you have to pay for it. He's like, but it's mine. I made it. He goes, all I know is I bought it from someone else, so you had to pay me the price for it. So the little boy runs home, gets all of his money, comes back, and he buys back the boat he made. He has redeemed the boat. It now belongs to him, not just because he made it, but he has now paid the price to get it back. That's kind of the, the imagery breaks down in some ways. That's the picture for us of redemption. It is buying something back. Friends, we are made by God. God created us with his own hands. He made us to know him, but because of Adam's sin that we inherit, because of your sin and my sin, we are now separated from God. We are distant from God. And God in his holiness and his justice will be completely just and holy to leave us bound in the prison of our sin. God doesn't have to redeem us. He doesn't have to purchase us back. He would be just to leave us condemned for our sins. But in his kindness, in the riches of his grace, to use the imagery of Ephesians 1 here, 
he purchases the price. He pays the price to buy us back to himself. And what is the price he has to pay? Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood. Friends, we talk so much about salvation being free. I fear sometimes we miss the wonder of the cost that was paid to redeem us. That God himself, Jesus himself, his own blood was shed that we might be forgiven. That to purchase us back, it wasn't God could just be like, I like him, he's good, he's in now. It took God himself coming as Emmanuel, God with us, living a perfect life, fulfilling the law, never sinning, going to a cruel Roman cross, having spikes put through his hands and his feet, having his back whipped to where he's almost dead, hung on a rough wooden piece of wood, pushing up to try to breathe, the splinters jam into the back of his back as he hangs in agony, as his blood is shed, as he suffers under a cruel Roman cross and ultimately under the wrath of God being poured out. He endured all that so that we could be redeemed, bought back, and belong to God. Don't you hear how 1 Peter describes it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18? Knowing that you were ransomed, another idea for redemption here, that we were bought back. We were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Friends, the cost for you and I to be redeemed was an astronomical cost. It was a cost greater than all the silver and the gold in the world combined. It was the cost of the blood of the Son of God himself that was shed so that we could be redeemed. Now, what difference does that make in our lives to realize that? Friends, the idea that Jesus has redeemed you and me with his own blood is for us as powerful of a statement as there can be that we belong to God. It's as powerful as a reminder as there could be that we belong because the God who made us but yet we rebelled against, has chosen to shed his own blood so that we might be redeemed and brought back. Friends, we doubly belong to God. He made us, but then when we offended him with our sin, he has now chosen to die in our place and redeem us. We doubly owe him. We doubly belong to him by creation and redemption both. But friends, the imagery of belong is even stronger than that. Because he doesn't buy us back, redeem us, and then we get home start chastising us. Okay, I paid the price for I can't believe you left me. I can't believe you sinned in these ways. I can't believe you're so awful. Why would you turn on me? I'm your creator. He doesn't do that to us. He redeems us, and then when we run home, he welcomes us with open arms and forgives us. Notice the idea of a restored relationship here in verse 7. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. It says now that we're not just redeemed and then getting chastised. Friends, we are redeemed and forgiven. Think about forgiveness. It's all about relationship. When I sin against Julia, and I'm a human, I'm a man, and I do sin against her just like you do against your spouse at times. When I sin against Julia and I go to her and say, Julia, I have sinned against you. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? When she forgives me, she's pledging to not ever use that against me again. Doesn't mean we don't talk about it again, but it means she'll never use it against me again. This idea of a restored relationship. Friends, that's this imagery for us right here, but so much more and so much grander. God, who we've offended with all the sin in our lives, the sins we've committed and also the sins we committed by not doing what we're called to do, instead of him holding us against it, he says, I forgive you. I will never hold this against you ever. 
all of your past, present, and future sins. Every sin, big and small. Sins of your thought and sins of your actions. An impure thought to murder. It doesn't matter what you've done. If you are in Christ, he says, I forgive past, present, future. Every sin you've ever committed. I'm so glad we sung the song we did right before the sermon. Jesus paid it all. This is not just some little nice language. He has paid with his blood on the cross for every sin you have ever committed and ever will commit. If you are in Christ, you are already forgiven by him. Whatever sin you're going to commit tomorrow is already forgiven because of what Christ has done. Forgiveness is based on what God does, not on anything we do, friends. There's only one thing that we contribute to this whole equation, and that's our sin. Look back at verses 7 and 8. Notice the terminology of what's from God and what's from us. In him... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So the only thing that's ours there is trespasses. What's of his is his redemption he's done for us, his grace. Verse 8, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom. That's his wisdom. And insight, that's his insight as well, friends. All of this is of God. It's all grace. And, and his grace and his kindness to us, he gives us an identity that we could never obtain on our own. That's why I said earlier, our job is not to go on some quest to find ourselves. All we find ourselves is lost. But God has proclaimed and he has redeemed us and he has given us an identity of belonging that we could never get ourselves. But friends, it gets better. As amazing as it is that we belong to God, it gets even richer than that. Because not only do we belong, but he now chooses to make us part of his plan. He doesn't welcome us home and then not chastise us, but say, I forgive you, you're restored to me. He now says, hey, I've got a purpose for you as well. It's not just, you're going to be mine so you don't go to hell and then come to heaven and sit on clouds and strum a harp. That's not at all the imagery of scripture. We are redeemed, we are restored to a right relationship with him so that we can now be used by him for a purpose in this life that he has given to us. As his sons and daughters, his adopted sons and daughters who belong, he's now told us the big picture of what he's up to and how he's going to use us. So look at how his, his plan for us. Verse 9. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. As his children who belong now, he says he makes known to us his mystery. We think of the word mystery, we think sometimes of intrigue or things that are unsolvable. Or if you ever watched the Scooby-Doo cartoons as a kid, you know, the mysteries are solving. That, that's not the idea of mystery in the Bible. In the Bible, mystery is something that is true but has not yet been revealed. It's something that God already knows, but he's not revealed it to his people yet. And it says here in verse 9 that God has made known to us, us who now belong to him. We now know the mystery, the thing he's not yet revealed to everyone else. He's now revealed to us. He's revealed to us his will, his purposes, of his plans of what he wants to do. You listen to verses 9 and 10 together. This is what he's given to us as his adopted sons and daughters who belong. Verse 9, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. What is it that he's revealed to us he's going to do and he's going to work through us to do as well? Verse 10 is something that's going to happen in the fullness of time. The fullness of time is a future tense reference here to the day and age when time as we know it is no more. A time when everything is restored to perfection, when everything is made right, when there's a new heaven and a new earth and Satan and the demons are all locked in hell and temptation and sickness and trials and difficulties in life all go away, when everything in the created order is restored to a right place to the way God designed it to be. That is certainly going to happen. And when that time happens, 
we have, he's telling us that time is going to certainly happen and that we have a part in this. That when this day happens, he will, verse 10, unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. That friends, the day is coming when heaven and earth are united. When we are all restored to right relationship with God. When there's no more conflict ever between people. When the whole physical creation itself has no decay. When everything in all the universe is in submission to him and everything is being restored. Now that day is coming. He says, as my children, my adopted children, I'm telling you my plan. The day is coming in the fullness of time when everything is united under me. When everything submits to me. When everything is restored. Why does he tell us that? It's not so we can get puffed up with pride. Hey, we know something the world doesn't get yet. It's not so that we can argue about, now, what's the exact timeline this is all going to happen? That's not the point of him revealing it to us. He tells us to us as his adopted children because we have a part to play in that coming to pass. We have a part to play. We have a purpose for being here. Again, verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Friends, yes, this is a future tense day when everything is united in him. But God is not waiting until that day to start doing that. All of history is moving as God is accomplishing and working to bring about this uniting of all things in him. It's happening. We see it happening throughout the Bible. It's still happening today, friends. It's person by person. Every time a sinner bows to me and trusts Christ, that's one more step towards the uniting of all things. Anytime someone turns from their sin and starts worshiping God, that is one more person now moving towards the uniting of all things in him. When broken relationships, broken marriages, when broken friendships between believers are united, that's the uniting of all things in him. God is at work doing this now, and he can do it any way he wants to. Why does he tell us? Because we have a part to play in it. He could zap people and unite them to himself. He could write it in the clouds, but he doesn't. What does he choose to do? You've seen me use this text before, but 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. I want you to see this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. There's the idea of redemption again for us. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So friends, the fullness of time, everything will be united in Christ. But getting there step by step as this is all moving towards that, who is he going to choose to use to help make these things happen? Who's he going to use? Us. Who's he going to use? Us. He's, going to, he's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. He, we belong to him, and he plans to use us. Friends, our belonging, our identity, and our purpose all go hand in hand. Those of us who've been adopted by God, who've been redeemed and forgiven by him, who are in relationship with him, now have been revealed to been revealed to what his heart and his plan is. We know the end of the story, and we know we have a part to play in that. Jesus gives us an identity of belonging to God and being part of his plan. So what difference does that make, friends? What difference does it make to know you belong to God? What difference does it make to know that God is going to one day unite all things and wants to use us in the process to point all of history to that? Well, listen to last week's sermon, and I'll just say ditto to everything I said last week on that. Because it's the same thing. If I understand who I am in Christ and my purpose, I'll worship him. I'll want to walk in holiness. I'll have hope. I'll have humility. I'll be free from earthly pulls. All those things we talked about last week still apply. And there's one more I want to add to that list of what difference all this makes. And it's simply this idea this morning that God has given us a role to be active reconcilers. I want you to catch that term, active reconcilers. 
that if our mission in life is to worship God, but also to be used by Him to unite all things, to be used by Him to take this ministry of reconciliation, we have a part to play in doing these things, friends. To reconcile something is to restore a broken relationship. And friends, all around us are people who have a broken relationship with God because of their sin. All around us are people who name the name of Christ but have broken relationships with other people who name the name of Christ. And our job, knowing that we belong to God, that we've been reconciled to Him, our job, knowing that one day in the fullness of time, everything will be reconciled, everything will be united to Him, our job is to each and every day be active reconcilers, using the ministry of reconciliation to point others to who God is and what it means to be reconciled to God and to one another. I fear, though, friends, too often in our lives, we somehow think it's okay as long as I'm just not stirring up trouble, I'm doing my part. If I'm not creating division, I'm doing my part. If I'm not prejudiced, I'm just doing my part. If I'm not shunning the lost and being mean to the lost people, I'm just doing my part. But friends, it's not enough for us to be passive in those things. God has called us to be active reconcilers. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 again, and this time pick up in verses 18 through 20. So Taylor, if you can put it back up there, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, kicking back in with verse 18 for us. There you go. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Then verse 19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to who? Entrusting to who? Us, the ministry of reconciliation. Friends, let that sink in. God has entrusted something to us, as us who belong to him. He's entrusted to us the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, who are his ambassadors? We are his ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through who? us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Friends, our calling of belonging to God is not a thing, I'm okay with Jesus, I'm good, I'm going to live my life like I want. My calling, my belonging to God means I understand that I've been restored to God, I've been redeemed by Jesus, I belong, but he now has made me part of his plan. His plan to one day unite all things under him, to when everything submits to him, he has called me now to be a minister of reconciliation, to take his message to those who haven't heard and to those who have heard and are not living like they really believe it. Friends, my role as an active reconciler, your role as an active reconciler, affects how we treat one another as Christians and affects what we do with non-believers. So practical application, what difference does it make if I understand the big picture what God has done and is going to do in my role in it. Friends, to be an active reconciler with those who are not believers, what does that mean? That means that I'm going to be intentional with my time to build relationships with people who do not know Jesus. To be an active reconciler is not just enough to be like, well, if a lost person comes away, I'll be nice. To be an active reconciler means I am going to be intentional with my time to actively pursue friendships of people who do not name the name of Christ, to share life with them, to open my home and show hospitality to them, to pray for them, to speak of salvation with them, to speak of Christ with them. That's our calling. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation. To be given the ministry of something doesn't mean I sit by passive waiting for it to come to me. I seek it out. I am actively pursuing relationships with non-believers to help point them to God, reconciling them to himself also. But I fear, friends, so often we don't do that because we're still acting bound to the world. We're still acting like we want to fit in so much. We're afraid of what the, not, the lost people around us will think. We're bound to our own flesh and to our people-pleasing tendencies, and we're worried about what they'll think of me, and so we keep our mouth shut instead of being an active reconciler because we're bound to our fleshly desires to want to fit in, or we're bound to the enemy who 
creates lies to us that they don't want to hear whatever else instead of pursuing God's plan for us to be active reconcilers. But the second thing I want you to see is if we're in Christ and we belong to him, our role as active reconcilers means we have a job with other believers to be reconciled with one another as well. That means, friends, that our role is to make sure we're considering each other better than ourselves, to serve one another, to actually, like I said last week, treat each other like we really are brothers and sisters. There's so much division in the body of Christ across the world and across our land and across the churches, even here in Montgomery. Our job is to be active reconcilers, speaking the truth in love to one another, seeking to stop division, seeking to do all we can to live in harmony with one another. Are we doing that? Yeah, I fear sometimes we're acting bound to the world still, handling conflict the world's way. When there's disagreement between Christians, instead of speaking the truth in love, how easy it is for us to gossip and backbite and slander and argue and yell instead of humbling ourselves before one another. I think sometimes it's easy for us to still act like we're bound to the flesh, focusing on my ways instead of on what God is doing in your life or listening to the lies of the enemy who loves creating division between that. Friends, don't miss this. When we allow divisions to persist between brothers and sisters in Christ, we are standing in direct opposition to God's plan to unite all things. God's plan is to unite all things together under Christ, under his lordship. And when we allow divisions to persist between us, we are going the exact opposite direction of what his plan is for us. Jesus has given us an identity of belonging to God and friends being part of his plan. So I want to ask you this day, do you understand who you are in Christ? Do you understand that you've been adopted and that you belong and that's relational, that you're forgiven, that you can know God and experience knowing God? But do you know as well that he has a part for you to play, that when he adopted you into his family, it wasn't just so you could go live like you want to live, but because he wants to send you out as a minister of reconciliation to point the non-believers around you in your neighborhood, perhaps your own home, in your school, and your workplace, and the people you meet at Walmart, whoever it is, that he's put you there for such a time as this to point them to how they too can be restored to a right relationship to God. But do you also realize, friends, that he's put you and I where we are so that we can be actively seeking reconciliation between believers, helping one another live in harmony with one another, helping each other learn how to handle conflict biblically, to learn how to serve one another. And friends, if we can get that, I can only imagine how our lives would be different how our churches would be different, how the city would be different if all the blood-bought sons and daughters of God right here in Montgomery, right here at Gateway, if we really understood what it meant to belong and what it meant to be reconcilers. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we are thankful for your grace. Even as we sung earlier, Lord, we recognize that our strength indeed is really small. But it's your children who are still so weak we come to you knowing that, Lord Jesus, you did pay it all. All to you we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but, Lord, you washed it white as snow. Lord, I pray for these precious brothers and sisters, that, Lord, that you would, this week, root them even deeper in who they are in you. That, God, that you would root them and anchor them in the fact that they belong to you, that before time began, you chose them, you adopted them, you have redeemed them and rescued them from the bondage they were in, you have restored them to a right relationship with you. And, God, I pray that they would treasure that, and I would treasure that, and we would marvel at that. And, God, we'd realize it's all of your grace, and we praise you accordingly. But, God, this week, would you push us out of our comfort zones, God, to realize that you have made us ministers of reconciliation as well. God, that our task is not just to sit on what you've done for us, but God, to point others to what you've done as well. Thank you for showing us your plan for the world 
your plan for the future. And God, we want to be found faithful as your children to make you known to one another and to the lost around us. So would you move in our midst and stir our hearts to see opportunities all throughout this week that perhaps we would not see otherwise. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song?